0: Sweetheart, Go get the ball, hon! Switch?
1: Switch. Is that a...
0: French braid. Yeah! I found him. My father. 36 years ago, you left me at the front door of a fire station. I'm your biological son. You want to meet your grandchildren?
1: He is looking good. (laughs) That is not right. Your wife is in distress, Jack. Do you
0: remember what? Dad used to say, "There's no lemon so
1: sour. But you can't make something resemble lemonade."
0: This is William. He left me at a fire station, and I invited him into our home. <laughs>
1: Daddy, what's happening? What's happening? Giving
2: you all my love. I'm still looking. All right, what's up, Liquid Church? Great to see you guys. Hey we got to welcome all our campuses. We have folks in Middlesex, Essex, Somerset, Union Counties. Give me a hand. We're glad you guys are here. Welcome. Or if you're one church online, glad you're here for uh, our new series, This Is Us. Uh, I'm Pastor Tim, and uh, just by way so I know, can I see some hands? Do we have any fans of the show with us today? Okay, you enjoy it? Oh, all right, cool. Maybe you saw an episode or you binge-watched a couple of seasons. Um, I, I hope you brought tissues. Uh, I have some here. Here you go, JP. I know it's going to be for you go ahead, right now. I can see it already. There's going to be a little crying today. Um, but uh, this, this sh- the reason I brought this is this show kicks my butt. Okay? It's kind of an emotionally intense family drama. It just finished its second season on NBC. It's a runaway hit. It's kind of captivated viewers nationwide with its portrayal of real life. And my wife Colleen and I are big fans. If if you haven't seen the show, by the way, no worries. You'll follow right along. What I'm going to do is show you some clips throughout this series. And just to kind of bring you up to speed, uh, the show really follows the adventures of the Pearson family. Um, I got a couple family pictures up here and and you probably recognize a few of them. The father, Jack, his wife, Rebecca, played by Mandy Moore. You've got the three kids, uh, Kate, uh, Kevin, and then Randall. And the kids are called the the big three because they were all born on the same day. Now, what's interesting is uh, Kate and Kevin are the surviving twins of a triplet pregnancy that the third was stillborn and so jack and rebecca though they believe god wanted them to have three children and so they adopt randall who was born on the same day he was brought to the same hospital after his biological father left him on the doorstep of a firehouse and in the show it's really amazing because we see the flashbacks to them raising their kids in the 80s and the 80s kids here okay And you kind of see Jack and Rebecca's like their their early marriage, you see the kids' childhood growing up. But then here's the genius of the show. At the exact same time, we fast-forward 36 years later, and how the three siblings are now handling life as grown adults with families of their own, which gives the emotion and the drama, right? Um, I think it's some of the best writing on television. Uh, because you have, you know, you have uh, Kevin who, you know, he was, he was like the golden child. He was uh, smart, good-looking, uh, you know, athletic. He grows up to become like a famous sitcom actor, but he's also addicted to prescription painkillers, struggles with, with addiction. Um, his sister, Kate, uh, kind of feels responsible for him. She takes care of her brother, and Kate has struggles of her own. She battles uh, weight issues. She's actually, on the, on the show, she, the actress, she's morbidly obese medically and like you rarely see obesity like as a storyline right again very real life and their adopted brother Randall is very actually he's the smart one he's extremely successful as an adult but remember he was abandoned by his biological father and uh, so he has a lot of anxiety as he's raising his kids like because it's the first time he's done this so all this to say This is a family that is messy and complicated and beautiful all at the same time, which is this to say, this is all of us, right? I mean, let's be honest. There's no such thing as a perfect family, amen? And that's okay. You don't need to be perfect. You know what? Your Father in heaven likes messy, and God loves us anyway. All of our relationships, I don't know what your family picture looks like, all our relationships are a mix, right? Of of good parts and bad parts. And it's like very natural to only want people to see the good parts. But here's the deal. Part of growing up in Christ as a a Christian, as a follower of Christ, is to actually embrace the story that God's writing in your life, both the good and the bad, and being willing to see ourselves and our loved ones honestly and say, you know what? For better or worse, this is us. Can we say that together? This is us. By the way, interesting fact. Do you know where the setting of the show is? Uh, Like, the writers actually set the show. Do you know where it is supposed to be taking place? It's in New Jersey. It's in New Jersey. Uh, Randall and Beth live in the Glen Ridge, Montclair area, and Kevin moves from L.A. to New York City. So this is literally us, okay? Now, here's a question I get sometimes. Hey, why are we doing a sermon series based on a TV show? And the answer is because it's my favorite show. Okay, I just, <laughs> okay, no, just kidding. I, I, I do like this show, I do like this show, but here's what we're gonna do, watch what we're gonna do. We're gonna use this show as a springboard to get into some biblical issues that I think apply to the messiness of our families and lives. You know, stuff like family dynamics, relationships with parents that can be, you know, difficult to navigate, uh, singleness, how do you live, you know, as a single in, in, in this kind of culture, marriage, raising kids, How do you deal with family members who you love but drive you nuts, okay? Have you ever wondered that? Why do the people closest to us, the people we love the most, tend to be the people who drive us crazy? Well, the Bible has a lot to say about this, so here's what we're going to do. Watch. We're going to look at the Pearson family, and then I'm going to make a connection to some biblical families, families in the Bible and the issues they face, and then we're going to build a bridge to our own families. Does that make sense? Nod your heads if you're with me. I think it's going really, be really helpful to you. So today for the kickoff, I wanna share a message I have entitled Five Dysfunctions of a Family. Now I wanna give credit to my friend Greg Surratt for this. In fact, maybe you've heard of the business book, Five Dysfunctions of a Team. Has anybody read that? It's by Patrick Lencioni, awesome leadership book. It's about lack of trust and accountability, all the things that make like a leadership team dysfunctional. Well, in the same way, I think there are five things that really put the fun in dysfunction. Okay, when it comes to our families, and we're going to go through these three, five uh, uh, dysfunctions today. And you can take notes. We've got notes for you to follow along. And so I'm going to encourage you to take out your phone now. If you open up the Liquid Church mobile app, we have a free app you can just kind of download. We put fill in the blanks, and here's the deal. I need your help. So I need everybody to do this. I need your help with next Sunday's sermon. It's Father's Day next week, and I kind of want to get a read on where things are at. And so today. In the app, there's a live poll I need you to actually participate in. I put a quick question in there. It's just one question for all our campus to answer. Here's the question. Which of the following best describe your relationship with your father? Again, Father's Day is next week. So which of the following, and I, and I say, check all that apply. I say, you know, maybe you and your dad have a close relationship. Uh, maybe it's complex. Uh, maybe your father has passed away. You'd say, well, you know, he, we were, we, I don't know that we were that close. We had a good relationship. Maybe you're saying, you know, I never knew my father, or I need to forgive my father, or actually I need him to forgive me. Maybe you've been through, you know, stuff and static in your life, and now you're like, you know, we have a redeemed relationship that God's rebuilding. If you can quickly answer that question in the app, and then what I'm going to do is next Sunday, June 17th, I will reveal that in uh, next week's Father's Day message. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at, uh, at Jack Pearson, because he's the dad of the family, who he's an amazing father. In fact, I feel guilty when I watch the show. You know, like, I'm like, man, he's like always strong and sensitive. He says the perfect thing. Um, But the reality is there's no perfect dads either. No fathers are. God's the only perfect father you'll ever know. But, man, I want to talk about how can we model our heavenly father's love to our our wives, kids, and our families. So so bring dad next week, and we'll get into that. But today, we're going to dive into five dysfunctions of a family. And um, when I say that word dysfunction, just a quick show of hands, ready? How many of you would say, yeah... The family I grew up in had a little bit of dysfunction. Just honest moment. Can I see a show of hands? Okay. Wow, that's a lot of hands. That's very, there were two groups of people there. Some people were like, "Yeah, that's sort of me." Some of you were like, "Right here." Okay. All right? Yeah. That's, <laughs> I kind of point that out. Uh, the reality is, it's called sin. Okay. We're all dysfunctional at some level. Uh, there's the brokenness of life. There are selfish desires. Um, We don't always handle conflict as well as we'd like to, and every family, I think, has its own unique blend of dysfunction, if we're honest, but here's the deal. I believe God maybe brought you here for this series to to heal that, to let go of some of that family history. For the Pearson family, there's one episode where all these issues come to a head. It's centered around Kevin, uh, the son, you know, who's probably most likely to succeed in life, you know, good-looking, famous actors. All the ladies love him. But his life starts to unwind in his 30s. He's got this string of, like, serial relationships with the girls, and then he winds up addicted to painkillers and alcohol, and he checks into a rehab center. And so the family rallies around. They all go to visit Kevin, but it's not what they were expecting. Um, If you've ever survived a family counseling session, This is what dysfunctional looks like in real life. Let's watch this clip, and then we're going to open the Bible.
1: Rebecca, do you have an opinion about your husband's alcoholism? Did you ever talk to your children about their father being an addict? Did you ever warn them that they would have the gene? Uh, My my children lost their father when they were 17. They didn't have their father at their high school graduation. Randall didn't have his father when his children were born. Kate will not have her father at her wedding. So they had 17 years of memories, and that's it. There won't be any new ones for the rest of their lives, so, no. No, I did not sit them down and color their memories of their father by talking about the one part of him that wasn't perfect. And you really do a disservice by calling my husband an addict because he was so much more than that. Thank you. It's interesting that you bring up examples of Kate and Randall, but not Kevin. What? Kate not having her father at her wedding and Randall not having his father when his children were born. Yes, because those were just the first two examples that came to my mind. But don't you find it interesting that you have specific examples for your other children, but not Kevin? I don't. I don't find it interesting. I find it typical, to be honest with you. I mean, this is what we talk enough.
0: about. No, mom Dude, you, enough. Her, uh... you don't have to lay into her. Okay, here we go. Yeah, here we go is right. Look, I... I've tried to empathize with you, Kevin. I really have. I've held my tongue while you've whined about your childhood. A childhood which I was there for, by the way. Which I bore witness to. Your football tosses on the lawn with Dad. Your tummy rubs from Mom when you had a fever. See, Barbara may not have been there, but I was there. I've held my tongue. But I will not hold my tongue while you go after our mother for
1: not parenting. I'm not her. going after our mother, Randall. Why do you always twist things around She's like that? He's not, not twisting at- anything, Kevin. He's simply defending me. Oh, I'm bl- sorry, Mom. You're right. I'm sorry. Why don't you take his side because that's <sighs> oh, I see, am not taking t- anybody's hey, side. You want to talk
0: about your tortured it's, it's, childhood, huh? You want to compare baggage? <laughs> no, let's do that. No, I would never compare my tortured childhood
1: with yours, Randall, because I wasn't abandoned or adopted, no. or I didn't have anxiety, or I'm not a genius. No, you're Kevin. definitely not that, Kevin.
0: You know what else you're not? You're not an addict, okay? The only thing that you're addicted to is attention. I mean, what happened, Kev? Your movie wrapped. You weren't rolling with Sly and Ron Howard anymore. Nobody was looking at you, so you had to get us all up here. All eyes on you. Cue drug problem. Okay. Okay, Kev.
1: Okay, guys. No, you know so- what? I, I just, I'm... I want to know your thoughts on this, Randall. Why do you think your daughter was hiding in my car? Why do you think your daughter was hiding in my car? Have you ever thought about that? What about it? She was avoiding the Randall show. Don't you? No, no, welcome to the Randall show, man. ladies Kevin, and gentlemen. Kevin. Adopted by white people, two dads. Does it get any more interesting than that? Well, not for Randall. So you... You move your dying father into your home without thinking about what your wife or what your kids think of that, and then you bring some, some strange girl into the house after he dies, right? And the only person sitting there that no one's paying attention to is your daughter Tess. You know what I'm done, man. No, Randall, Randall, Anky Randall. you. Randall out the door. Cue mom chasing her favorite son. This is no, such a predictable it, movie. You so predictable. are so predictable. You raise your voice hey, to her hey, one more time. Hey. All your children, hey. you love equally, right? That's yes. what you keep saying. Do you love yeah, all, all my sure children equally. Wouldn't it feel refreshing though, just to write here in this form, because this is where you do that kind of stuff, to just tell everyone the truth, which is that you love Randall the most. Oh, He's that's your favorite, not right? True, Kevin. It's not true, Kevin. That's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, okay. It's ridiculous. Name me one thing that you and I have. One thing that you and I have that is special—that is just you and me, not 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 I, all of us, not me and Randall, not me and Kate. Kevin. Can you p- stop? I I I'm, I'm I'm flustered, and it's not kind of you. Well, what just you're admit doing. that you love Randall more. We can stop pretending to be family. No, this he was just family. easier.
2: He was easier, and he didn't
1: recoil when I touched him, and he wasn't some sullen teenager who was angry at me for no reason, and he didn't. died.
2: Whoa. <laughs> that is intense. Some of you are like, that's why I don't do counseling. Okay, that right there, that's why I avoid counseling, right? Kind of. Okay, again, here we go. You can just pass. Here you go. Pass those out, Caro. I see Caro Davin here. You pass it down the row there. Okay, now listen, <laughs> right? Okay, let's just unpack this a little bit. By, I want to connect the Pearsons To a family in the Bible, and then we're going to connect it to our families, okay? What are the five dysfunctions of a family? If you open up the Bible to the first book, Genesis, you'll see it starts very early. And if you're taking notes, here's the first that we just saw. Favoritism. Mom, why can't you just admit you love Randall more than me? Guys, these are grown men in their 30s still arguing over who was mom's favorite. Anybody here grew up in a family where there's a favorite child? Okay, just again, don't point. Just, okay, I'm just participation, <laughs> right? Maybe it was an older brother or it was a little sister. It, and here, here's the thing, it, we're not ascribing blame. This all begins innocently enough. There's no parent who ever consciously says, oh, I think I'm just gonna sort of favor this one over that one. No one says that. It just sort of happens sometimes naturally, right? Maybe one's more like mom or this one takes after dad. Or, or like Rebecca says, he was just easier. I, I would try to reach out to you, and you'd always push me away. Or, or maybe one child needed special attention. You know, in the, uh, in, in the show, Jack, is, he's always, he always is running after Katie or Katie girl because it's his daughter who has these weight issues, you know, and, and she needs her father to reassure her. Sometimes the parent gravitates towards the child just because they're the underdog. If a child has special needs, it, it can unintentionally even create these feelings of special attention or favoritism. Rebecca is drawn to her son, Randall, like you saw, because he's different, right? Here's a black kid growing up in a white family. He's adopted. He's a little bit nerdy. He gets picked on at school. And so Kevin feels left out. And as a result, watch this, he acts out because I'm going to get that attention somehow. So let's just get personal. Who is the favorite child in your family? Was there one? We're going to ask that question in your small group this week. I asked our staff that and it was fascinating. People instantly had an answer. Um, One person said, yeah, Tim was my little brother. Through no fault of his own, he was born premature. He had a heart malformation. And growing up, he got all the attention. My parents were very very protective of him. He was like the underdog in the family. And my sister and I, we were like expected, you're going to behave and you're going to perform, but there's always special rules. There's special expectations for exceptions for our, our little brother. Well, I want to introduce you to the family in the Bible here in Genesis who puts the fun in dysfunctional. In Genesis 25, I want to look at Isaac and Rebecca. Rebecca is actually, yes, it's the same name as the mother on This Is Us. And what's interesting here is that Isaac and Rebecca, they're actually good people. They're a God fearing couple. They want to start a family. And in Genesis 25, here's what the Bible says. This is how their family started. Listen to this Isaac pleaded with the Lord, excuse me, on behalf of his wife because she was unable to have children. So this is a couple who has a fertility problem, right? This is kind of a tender verse, right? Isaac's a good husband. He's pleading with the Lord on behalf of his wife. And the Bible says the Lord answered Isaac's prayer and Rebekah became pregnant with what? How many kids? Twins, right? In the show, Rebecca has triplets. In the scripture, she has twins. We don't know if they did IVF, okay, but she's got two boys, all right? And here's what the Bible says. As the boys grew, Esau, the one, became a skillful hunter. He was an outdoorsman. But his brother Jacob had a quiet temperament, preferring to stay at home. In other words, they're opposites. Anybody have a sibling who's like an opposite, like we're completely different, okay, you know? One of the, one of the boys here, right, is a hunter. He's a, he's a rough and tumble. He's an outdoorsy kid, right? He's like hunting, fishing, loving every day. And the other, the Bible says, is quiet home, homebody. Maybe he's a mama's boy, we don't know. But the Bible says this, watch this, watch. The dad, Isaac, loved Esau, because he enjoyed eating the wild game that Esau brought home. But the mama, Rebecca, loved who? Jacob. So all of a sudden, you've got these family coalitions. The, the father, Isaac's drawn, or he, he's drawn to Esau because they go hunting together. Maybe he's just, I don't know, he's just like more like me. But Rebecca loved Jacob because he's, he's a stay-at-home kid and maybe she just felt protective because he's a little weaker, I don't know. What, what, we, we don't know exactly, but we do know it's unhealthy. Because favoritism in a family unit is dysfunctional because it sets up these family coalitions with mom and dad, right? I mean, you guys know this, right? Isaac and Rebecca, they should have been shoulder to shoulder working together for the interests of both boys. They're supposed to be on the same page, but mom and dad aren't. And here's what happens. You cannot ignore this. Because if you don't deal with this, you will pass this down to your children and to your children's children. And it becomes this family dysfunction that wreaks havoc for generations. You actually see this in the biblical family. This sin of favoritism gets passed down by Jacob to his son Joseph. What do you remember about Joseph? Remember this: Joseph has 12 brothers, but his father Jacob here loves Joseph more than all the others. So he gives him a special gift, the coat of many colors. No, none of the boys get another gift. You get a special one. And it makes all his brothers jealous of Joseph, and so they throw him in a pit. Totally destroys the family. In other words, favoritism is this functional pattern passed down from Jacob to his son Joseph. And that's how it works. The biblical name for this special kind of sin is generational sin. In Exodus 34, the Bible describes it this way. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and grandchildren. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations. That's what generational sin is. It, it, think of it like links in a chain, right? One link here, then the next link, then the next link. Sometimes in families, the sins of the past have a way of playing themselves out all over again in the present. Until somebody stands up and says, stop! We Guys, this can't go any further. This has to stop with me. Again, I was talking to our staff this week, and I was so proud. One of them um, said, Tim, let me tell you, that's that story of my family. She said, my mother was pregnant with me at the age of 16. And she said, actually, the, the track was grease, and I got pregnant at 16. And she said, I was, I was going to follow in her footsteps. But God intervened in my life. I realized there was more. And she said, I actually broke past that and went to college. And she said, you know what? My mother resented me for it. It would totally, my family ridiculed me. I was an outcast because I went to college. And they said, oh, are you better than us? You're the college, you know, girl. And she says, it's a source of great pain because I was now rejected. And there was a family fracture that exists to this day. But she said, I was determined to snap, to stop that generational sin and become a woman of God and a faithful wife and a loving mother to my children. And let me tell you, she is one of the bravest women I know. That is the thing about family dysfunction. If you don't confront it head on, you will pass it down to your kids and your grandkids. And maybe that's what God's going to call some of you today to do in this series. With God's help, we're going to actually have a time of prayer at the end and ask God to kind of enter in and heal maybe some of those hurts and histories we carry around. Because it doesn't have to be, your, you know, like biological determinism. Like that's just going to happen to you. It doesn't have to be that way. God says, I've got healing, I've got more, I can do a work of freedom in your family. But the first dysfunction is favoritism. If you're taking notes, the second is deception. Anybody here have family secrets? Your your family like has some, you know, some like secrets that like, you know, we don't really talk about, you know, when you get together, there's like this big elephant in the room but we're gonna pretend it's not there, you know. We're gonna kind of, you know, sweep it under the rug. Like, no, this thing, no, not at all. There's nothing in our family, right? And like you get to, right? And like you get together at Thanksgiving and stuff, and there's this like big stinking turd in the middle of the living room, and it's, you know, smells, and there's heat coming off, and everyone's like, I don't smell anything. No, it's great to see everybody, right? And everybody knows it's there, but we can't talk about it. We can't say anything about it because if we talked about it, watch, it would, it would shatter the image of the perfect family. We have to do whatever it takes to preserve this picture. But there's a secret and everyone knows it. And this is us. Uh, Rebecca refuses to talk about her, her husband's drinking problem. See, Jack is a phenomenal father. In fact, uh, I feel a little guilty whenever I watch. Because he's like so thoughtful and he always says the perfect thing. And I'm I, I watch, it. I'm like, I wish I was a dad like Jack, you know? But he's got the secret. He's an alcoholic. He struggled with, with with alcohol like his father, like his father did. But watch this, watch. Rebecca, the mom, she's like, we ain't talking about that, kids. Don't don't you dare tarnish the memory of your father. Don't go there, no fly zone. But now, watch, 30 years later, Kevin. He brings it up in counseling because he's just trying to understand his own addiction issues, right? And he and he starts connecting the dots. He's like, wait a minute. My father was an alcoholic, his father was an alcoholic, and now I'm an alcoholic. Give the Hollywood writers this. They understand generational sin. And his brother Randall looks him square in the face and says, Kev, you're not an addict. We close ranks, we are in denial because we don't talk about the family secret. Don't you dare bring dad down. Here in the biblical family in Genesis, deception is everywhere. If you know anything about the story of Isaac and Rebekah, their two boys, Jacob and Esau, the name Jacob literally translates to, he deceives. (laughs) And in Genesis 27, there's an elaborate story about how Jacob deceives his brother, in order to steal dad's blessing. He, he literally like, manipulates and deceives his family to get the birthright and his father's blessing. And the question is, you're like, oh, where did that start? Well, look at Genesis 26. It says this. The Lord appeared to Isaac, the dad, and said, do not go down to Egypt, but do as I tell you. Live here as a foreigner in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. So God says, I make you a promise. My presence is going to go with you wherever you go. Okay, I'll be with you. This is like the greatest promise ever. I'm going to bless who you bless, curse who you curse. Don't be afraid, Isaac, the dad. But here's what verse 7 says. When the men who lived there asked Isaac about his wife, Rebecca, he said, uh, she, well, uh, 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 that's my sister. He was afraid to say she's my wife because he thought they will kill me to get to her because she is so beautiful. So he is this like, you know, haughty wife or whatever. I don't I know what the whole thing is, right? But like, he's like, no, 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 she's my sister. Now, where have you heard this story before? And the answer is, with his daddy, Abraham. Earlier in Genesis, Abraham is the exact same situation. He lies about his wife because he's afraid of what people might do. So watch this. The deceptive ways of Abraham are passed on to his son Isaac. Now watch what it does to the family. But sometime later, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out his window and saw Isaac caressing Rebekah. And he thought... (laughs) (laughs) So that's how it is in that family, right? Like, bro, that ain't how a brother hugs his sister. What's the point? Because this, I want you to think about the two boys growing up in this household. Think about those two boys. Their father weaves this elaborate deception out of fear. And so those two boys are raised, and they grow up with a family secret. At one point, their father calls them in and says, okay, boys, here's the deal. When you go to school, you're going to register for school, but understand something. She is not your mother, okay? Okay. I know she's your mother, but she's not your mother. This is Uncle Bebe, okay? Or Aunt Bebe, okay? That's what you call her. I don't care what you call her. Just it's not, I'm not married to her. You understand? You guys good? Good, let's go. School. And these boys got to go to school and, and like, oh, who's dropping you off? Was that your father? And like, it's my aunt, uncle from my third. they ha, they These kids are confused. They grow up having to lie. They have to protect this elaborate ruse that their father has. So And it causes dysfunction. It twists everything. How confusing is that for a child? It causes great dysfunction. That's what deception does. So can I just like meddle a minute in your family? I know your family's nothing like this, but can I meddle? Do you have family secrets? <laughs> like, you know, maybe keeping up an appearance that just isn't true. You know, like dad has a a gambling problem or there's some other issue, but we don't talk about it. You know, or mom mom is actually really depressed, but she acts the different, when we go to church, we have to act all happy. I see this in churches a lot, unhealthy churches, dysfunctional religious communities, because there's a sense that, well, we got, our family has to keep up appearances. Mom and dad want to pretend everything is awesome. (laughs) But everything is not awesome. Not only are they not happy, they're living separate lives. You know, they're basically divorced. But we pretend it's okay around the kids, and then watch this, they gotta grow up dealing with all the confusion and mixed signals. See, it's living in in deception, in unreality, and it's toxic to families. The truth is, guys, as long as you're hiding a wound, it will never heal. There is a saying in recovery, you're only as sick as your secrets. And I think that's true. Until you bring the light of Christ, there's no disinfecting of that. So the first dysfunction is favoritism. The second is deception. The third one is control. I've got five of these. I don't have time for all of them. So what I did is for this one, I shot a short video uh, that's on the mobile app. You just go under bonus content and and you'll see I shot a little video describing highly controlling families and explain how control is really all about boundaries, right? Right? Where parents either, you know, they kind of make the boundaries too loose, like, oh, it's our fifth kid. We just gave up, you know, kind of just go, you know. Or they're too tight, you know, and they dominate the kids and make decisions for them past where it's appropriate. It's kind of like Rebecca in the show. So this is the controlling mom who can't let go of her 30-year-old son. Still treats him, even though he's in his 30s, like a little boy, steering his decisions, trying to send subtle messages about what he should do, who he should date, how they should raise their kids, and he resents it because it's controlling and dysfunctional. Again, just go to the bonus content in the app. This is how I get five points and only have time for three. Okay, this is third dysfunction. Favoritism, deception, control. And if you don't address them, you'll walk headlong into the fourth dysfunction, which is broken relationships. Often the end of the chain, emotional walls go up, family members get shut out. This is the black sheep in the family that nobody talks to. This is the uncle that we don't invite to the reunion. You know, is Uncle John, is Uncle John still alive? Yeah, yeah, he's, you know, yeah, he's kind of, he's just busy. He's always busy. Hey, uh, we don't really talk about, they're cut out of the family picture. Again, can I meddle for just a minute with your family? Is there a family member that you don't talk to? Right? Someone, someone maybe that you avoid. I'm not talking about safety issues. I'm not talking about boundary issues. But often we are very quick to cut out those who are closest to us because they're the ones who hurt us the most. In the show, This Is Us, the father Jack tragically dies in a fire. It, spoiler alert. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> sorry, dude. Oh, no. Oh, no. What have I done? Oh, no. Avoid crockpots, too, okay? Just uh, tell me there. Oh, I can't stop. Get back. Okay, listen. Uh, it, it's not giving anything away, it's the defining moment of this family dynamic. Because in the wake of that devastating loss, the family members, they kind of turn on each other and they start living separate lives. And when you go in the Bible and the biblical family, there's all this jealousy between these two brothers, Esau and Jacob. And we get to chapter 27, Jacob deceives his brother. He deceives his father to steal the blessing. And what's the result? Listen to this verse. From that time on, Esau hated Jacob because their father had given Jacob the blessing. And Esau began to scheme, you know what? I will soon be mourning my father's death. Dad's going to die. You know I'm going to do? First thing on my list, I'm going to kill him. <laughs> then I, This is a broken relationship. <laughs> then I will kill my brother Jacob. This is some serious dysfunction. And it all stems from an inability to resolve conflict. Dysfunction number five. That's what we saw most dramatically in the opening clip. Maybe it reminded you of some of the tapes that your family plays, right? Kevin accuses mom. You know, mom, You Mo-. mom gets defensive immediately. Randall steps in. I'm going to protect mom because she's on my family coalition. And then he walks out. And then notice Kate. Kate's like just, just <laughs> she just cries, right? She did not say anything, you know? Now, listen, everybody plays their role in this, right? Now, I want to give you hope. This is where we kind of turn a corner. Some of you are like, this is depressing, okay? <laughs> I'm here to give you hope today because it doesn't have to keep going like this. And it's also normal. Listen to me. Conflict is 100% normal in every family. I want to say that again. I want to normalize this. Conflict is 100% normal in a family. In fact, if you don't know how to have healthy conflict, that's dysfunctional. Siblings will always step on each other's toes. Kids will say words that are hurtful. Parents will do things that are neglectful. But But the question is, do you know how to, watch, resolve conflict? In Matthew 18... Jesus Christ outlines, he gives his family a biblical model for conflict resolution. He's speaking to Christians, his disciples. He says this, if your brother or sister sins against you, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to them, so you initiate it, and you point out their fault, not point the finger, but just highlight where the gap is, just between what? The two of you. In other words, this is not Seinfeld. The public airing of grievances has begun. (laughs) okay? Just between the two of you. And if they listen to you, watch this, you have what? Won them over. According to Jesus, what's the first step to resolving conflict with those you love? It's this. Sit down and have a one-on-one with them. Just, like literally, just go have a heart-to-heart and you be humble about it. You say, hey, I, this could, this could, I could be totally reading into this and you may not have met this at all, but I felt like when you said... It made me feel, but again, I could be reading into it. Does that sound accusing to you? Did I just point my finger? You know what? This is the third time. Every time you, it's a very different tone. It's not accusations. It's not gunning them down because the goal is not to beat them in an argument. The scripture says you win them over. It's a win-win for the relationship. And you know what? When you do that, most reasonable people will respond. And I know what some of you are saying. Like, Tim, you have, (laughs) reasonable, okay? (laughs) Okay. You haven't met the nuts in my house. There's no reasoning with them, okay? And Jesus is practical. He says, in that case, listen, scripture says, but if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that you can gang up on them. (laughs) That's not what it says. Take one or two others along, watch, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Jesus is actually quoting the Old Testament. The law required that they would have two or three witnesses to back up the accusation. And what is the hope? It's not ganging up on them. The hope is that by having two or three people who you understand, they love you. This may be your biological family. He's talking about your spiritual family, the church. The idea is that they will take the truth heart to heart. Notice in Jesus' mind, there's like these levels of escalation. That's why Jesus says, you start by going directly one-on-one. You just be humble. You say, bro, I love you so much, I don't want there to be a gap between us. And I feel like when this happened, it made me feel like this, and I don't want to feel that way towards you because I love you. Did that feel accusatory? Did that feel like I'm trying to jump all over you? No. It's being humble, it's being honest, and it's also, watch, owning your part. I know I can drive people a little bit crazy with my perfectionist tendencies, and notice whenever I do that, you kind of, and I just want to interrupt that. I'm so sorry for the way I do that. I sometimes control the conversation like that. All of a sudden, you open up with honesty and transparency and watch, after you've done that, your job is done. You know what the Bible says? Their response is God's responsibility. It is not your responsibility to control how they'll respond. In fact, you can't control it, you ever notice that? (laughs) This is why most families avoid conflict because either they've seen it modeled poorly or they totally botch it up. When there's conflict, you'll notice some people get angry and they get explosive. Again, I talked to one of our staff members who said, Tim, I'll tell you how we resolve conflict, with yelling and screaming in my family. He goes, there was weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth that there was a conflict. Dad would raise his voice, mom would raise his voice, dad would punch a wall. He goes, we had little holes in the drywall in our house. My, my home growing up, he said, was verbally abusive, it was physically aggressive. And so others, that's why they clam up, they go silent. They say, angry? I'm not angry. Why would you say I'm angry?
1: <laughs>
2: I'm not angry. vein bulging out of the neck, you know. Eyes bulging. When conflict comes, some people just shut down emotionally. They just kind of tuck their head in like a turtle, and I hope they can't wait for this to blow over, right? That's Kate. Listen carefully. All of those responses are completely natural. But none of them are loving. None of them are healthy. Healthy families know how to have productive conflict without totally destroying each other uh, can I just be honest like from my heart as a pastor <laughs> I'm always suspicious when people tell me no we never had a fight you know how, how are things go oh, we never argue we never fight everything is awesome right <laughs> in fact when I used to do premarital counseling I do not really do that anymore but I would sit down with a couple who's getting married and I would say so um you know so tell me um what's the last fight that you had and they look at each other, and they hold their hands, and they go, fight? We've never had a fight. (laughs) And I go, okay, well, I'm about to pick one. And I would bring something up. The reason is because, listen to this, listen to this. Knowing how to resolve conflict in a marriage with your kids, with your parents, in a loving, healthy, biblical manner is crucial to honoring Jesus and loving others the way he taught us to. Whether it's your parents, whether it's your spouse, your kids, Jesus said, I want you to forgive others the way you want your father in heaven to forgive you. That's why I love the Pearson family and this is us. No matter what they go through, no matter how jacked up things get, they eventually circle back around to resolve the conflict and their love for one another shines through. Last clip I wanna show you. After the big family blow up at counseling, Kate reaches out to Kevin one-on-one and then the third brother jumps in, but it's okay. It's not to bring wrath, but reconciliation. Watch this.
0: You know it would have been sweet? If we had someone documenting our entire childhood, boyhood style. <clears throat> I hate that movie. Never saw it. I really loved it. I'm just saying, if we had someone filming our entire childhood, objectively, then we never have to debate about anything. Whenever we remembered things differently, we just say, let's go to the videotape, like Warner Wolf, and then see what was really up. Who's Warner Wolf? Sportscaster guy when we were growing up, used to always say, let's go to the videotape, and they play the highlights. Warner
1: Wolf.
0: Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. I remember when they were fitting me for glasses as a kid. I never actually realized just how blurry everything had always been until they stuck my face in this weird thing they called the better machine. so many lenses, each one sharper or blurrier. My view of the entire world shifted like 12 times in less than a minute. I think everyone sees their childhood with different lenses, different perspectives. And I didn't come here today to crap all over your perspective, Kev. I came here today because last year when I was at my lowest bro I was crying on the floor and I was shaking and hey Kev look at me please you were there for me man and I wanted to be there for you today and I wasn't I did a bad job today and I'm sorry Sorry about Tess. I know So just to clarify, it's official that like, My mom's favorite, right?
2: <laughs> Is this guy for real? <laughs> Yeah, cool right you know you, well we're different glasses and even though we don't see eye to eye there's reconciliation Th- there's forgiveness hey Kev look at me look, look at me look at me I'm sorry you know what I'm sorry too for the role I played and even though we don't see eye to eye on all the issues there's mutual love and respect and that's healing And that's God honoring, and that's what a functional family looks like. So there you have it, the five dysfunctions of a family. Favoritism, deception, control, think about your family, broken relationships, inability to resolve conflict. When you look at those, how do you see your family? Maybe you're like, oh man, we got two or three of those, or you're like, oh, we did a scratch off, we've got all five. Uh, You know, all five links to the chain. So what do we do? What do we do with this? Now, here we go. Application. Here's the question. So then what does a healthy family look like? Notice I said healthy family, not perfect family, because there aren't any. I said a healthy family, a relatively stable, functioning family. The members in that family, they feel loved. They feel valued. They feel respected. They feel heard. They feel listened to. They feel appreciated. They're not perfect, but watch this. Those families are safe. In other words, the the parents create this environment where the kids feel physically safe and emotionally safe. Physically safe. They don't let the kids just, you know, eat Tide Pods, you know. They just, they look like, watch out for the kids. All right. They also protect them emotionally. They coach them through conflict. And the poor choices that they guaranteed will make, they coach them through it without totally criticizing them or smothering their growth. And secondly, those families are open. Members can talk and share opinions. They don't have to agree on everything. They know how to argue without losing control because parents are modeling for the kids how to be emotionally expressive. Hey, it's okay to be angry. Did you know that? It, anger is not a sin. The Bible says in your anger, do not sin. A- anger is not a sin. And so in this family, you can be angry, but here's the deal. We're not gonna call names. We're not gonna call names. We're not gonna scream and yell. And There's never gonna be violence, physical violence. We're gonna learn how to deal functionally with conflict openly and honestly. And guys, listen to me, listen to me. If you give your energy to creating a safe open environment for your kids, you are going to pass on blessing to their kids. Just like it's possible to pass on generational brokenness, did you know you can pass on generational blessing? See, God can not only break the chains of dysfunction. He says, I can heal and redeem generational sin. Amen? So I want you to know this, in this series, God isn't just calling you to break the chains, He's calling you to bless your kids. To some of you to actually say, stop, it goes no further than this, in Jesus' name, I'm gonna bless my children. I'm gonna leave a legacy for their children. And listen to me, the reason we're here is because Jesus Christ has the power to restore relationships, amen? He has the power to redeem, to actually give a second chance. You're going to hear this amazing story next week. It's from one of you in the, in the uh, congregation here at one of our campuses. Of this family total smash up. It's like a grenade went off in the middle of it. And what God has done, like in the middle of it, it's like nothing is impossible for God. With Christ, all things are possible. And he can heal broken families to the glory of God. Say amen if you believe that. Do you believe that? So my question, yeah, give him a hand. Give God a hand. Give him a hand. It's possible. So here's my question for you. What is your next step today? What's your next step? What is the Spirit saying to you? What is God calling you to do? I mean, I, guys, I realize this is emotionally intense. This is difficult terrain for some of you. Some, many of us have broken relationships or are strained with family members. I mean, even the examples we saw today can kinda you know, hit the trigger button and, and bring open up old wounds. But listen, God's goal for your life is healing. It's not to stay stuck where you are. God is the only perfect father you will ever know in this life, and he wants to heal you. That is why he sent his son, Jesus Christ, who suffered and died so that you could be reconciled to your heavenly father. And your father says, I can not only forgive your sin, I'll fill you with my spirit, and I'll heal your heart. And if you want God's spirit and you want that healing, there's really two things that you need to do. The first is simply to admit my brokenness, to just say, I'm part of this, you know, The Bible's so real, it says if we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves, not living in the truth. What did we say earlier? You're only as sick as your secrets. (laughs) So you need to actually just admit them to God. He already knows it, by the way. He's just waiting for you to say it. (laughs) He's waiting for you to say, you know what? I get angry. I blow up. I can be controlling. I avoid conflict. I have a gambling problem, and, and, and it's, I have a pornography addiction. God already knows, but he wants you to say it. And when you do say that to your Father in heaven, you know what the promise is? But if we confess our sins to him, he is what? Faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all the wickedness, all the junk, the sins we've committed and the sins committed against them. You can leave them in the healing hands of your Savior, Jesus Christ who wants to minister his love and power to your place of deepest pain. That's why Jesus Christ came. He said, I came to save and to heal the brokenhearted. So admit your brokenness. And then secondly, just ask God for his help and healing. There's a verse God gave me this week. It just kept coming back. I was like, I don't know if I'm saying, I felt like God saying, no, Tim, this verse is for somebody here today who's hurting and feels alone. Maybe they weren't thinking of coming or this is gonna raise up old wounds, but this is the verse that God wants to apply the balm of this verse to your heart. Listen to this, it's beautiful. Take it into your heart. It's from the Psalms. God sets the lonely in what? Families. God sets the lonely in families. He sets the prisoners free. He breaks chains. And he gives them what? Joy. Isn't that beautiful? God sets the lonely in families. Isn't that what we all want, you know? To be part of a family, to be the beloved son or, or cherished daughter of your father. Guys, I believe that's why God brought you here today because this church is a family. It's a family of God. We're a spiritual family. And just like your biological family, we ain't perfect. The church family is full of flawed people starting with yours truly. But you know the difference? We have the spirit of Jesus living in us. And he's changing a lot of us. He's changing and transforming on the inside. And we're actually being filled with a supernatural love in an unconditional compassion. And if you feel alone today, you need to know you are not alone. I want you to look around you. Right now, look up and down your row, okay? If you're crying, just put your glasses on, and just kinda look up and down your row. You are surrounded by people who are filled with the Spirit of God. And I believe God brought you here today to be loved by this family, because guys, better or worse, this is us, amen? The church is supposed to be the one place in the world where it's 100% safe to be open and honest. And I can tell you, you're not going to be judged. We just want to embrace you and minister the Father's love to you. And so today, we're going to now respond to what the Holy Spirit is saying to you by receiving communion. Communion is literally coming around the family table as brothers and sisters in Christ. We're going to remember Jesus' death and resurrection and just invite him right now to do a deep work of healing and cleansing in our hearts. So before we receive communion, let's take a moment to bow our heads for prayer. All our campuses, would you bow your heads with me? Let's just prepare our hearts. Father, I thank you that we can call you Father. (laughs) And we just proclaim you are the Father, the perfect Father of this church family. And we sit here as brothers and sisters through faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus, we just thank you right now for your limitless love And your sacrifice for our sin on the cross. All the sins we've committed and the ones committed against us. You are the ultimate proof of the Father's love for us. And Jesus, today we're coming to you with an open heart and we're asking you to break generational chains. So before we come to the communion table, we take a moment to just admit our brokenness and confess our sins. Just take a moment right now for silent prayer. Talk to your Father in heaven. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you right now? Tell your father. He already knows, but he wants to hear it from you. Jesus, we ask you to forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Maybe today you have hurt in your heart or you're harboring anger towards a family member and you feel the Spirit saying, you need to let it go. And you're like, I can't. That's why we're praying. Ask God for help. Just say in your heart, Father, in Jesus' name, help me forgive. Say their name. Help me forgive them. Help me to love them. I forgive them in Jesus' name. I release them to you. Come heal my heart. Father, I ask with this celebration of communion, we'd be reminded of the incredible sacrifice Jesus you made to repair our relationship with the Father. Thank you that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We don't have to feel shame or guilt. We can just leave that with you and be new creations filled with the Spirit of God and your love pouring through us. So fill us now. In your name we pray. Everyone said? Amen.